Well, good evening and welcome to Christ Church of Oak Brook. I'm Pete Stearns, and I have the privilege of having a chance to be a part of our teaching team here. Um, I'm just so looking forward to diving into this new series tonight, uh, which if you guys have been watching our screens, you know is a series called The Power in Your Hands. Now, to be honest, if you're like me, you probably wonder why are we talking about power in church? Because power has become a taboo word. It carries a lot of negative connotations. When we hear power, we think of power trips or power hungry. We think of the famous John Acton quote that says that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. We probably think of corrupt politicians, warlords, dictators, or maybe even just an angry boss imposing their will upon unwilling constituents. Forbes, for 2015, published a list of the most powerful people in the world. And on that list, they included North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un. They listed the head caliph of ISIS. And as the most powerful person in all the world, they listed controversial Russian leader Vladimir Putin. You see, the word power carries a heaviness to it. It carries an uneasiness with it. If you're like me, you think of supervillains, right? From your favorite fictional tales, I think of Darth Vader, the epitome of power and also the depths of darkness. He's cloaked in his dark robes. He's speaking mechanically through a box and his breath is unsettling. He's a man that is so cold and isolated from the rest of the world that those that are closest to them, if they even do anything that might offend him, he will inflict harm upon them immediately. He incinerated an entire planet just to prove to the galaxy how powerful he was. Right? This is, this is an evil person, a person filled with power. I think of Sauron from the Lord of the Rings. His evil flaming eye, ceaselessly searching over all of Middle-earth, trying to find the one object, the ring of power, that will allow him to conquer and rule over all of civilization. Power carries this dark connotation. We think of Voldemort from the Harry Potter series. A wizard so scary that even the closest to him won't even utter his name. And he too, like Sauron, is searching ceaselessly to find that thing that would bring him power over everything and everyone. Power is heavy. Power is unsettling. And if you're not convinced just by the darkness of those with power, then maybe let's take a moment to think about the protagonist, the protagonist in your favorite stories, is almost always somebody that comes from humble beginnings, that has no power, so to speak, but their virtue and their perseverance will carry them through. With Darth Vader, we have Luke Skywalker. 
He's an orphan boy living on his uncle's oxygen farm. He doesn't have any talent or skills, but for some reason, Obi-Wan Kenobi chooses him to be the savior of the galaxy. You think of Frodo Baggins. He's a part of a species named the hobbits that are not known for their warfare. They're not known for their adventure. They've never done anything bold. And Frodo himself is particularly attached to the convenience and comforts of his home in the Shire. Yet Gandalf seeks him out and asks him to carry this ring of power to its destruction. And we see in this tale that even Frodo, even this virtuous hobbit, this innocent man is afflicted by this power and has an internal struggle before finally he can cast it into the fiery depths below and he's freed of its darkness. Or Harry Potter, who's again an orphan boy living in his mean aunt and uncle's closet underneath their stairwell, completely unaware of his talent and his potential. Until one day, somehow, he rises up to defeat the one who must not be named, right? You see, power is seen, on the one hand, as dark, and virtue, on the other hand, and they're somehow incompatible. Yet, we need to reconcile that we worship and follow the omnipotent being. We hear throughout Scripture that our God is all-powerful. He is the greatest. He has no beginning. He has no end. He can work His power in the midst of our realities and also on the outside of it. He is not constrained by time or space. He is a God of power. We see throughout his time with the Israelites as he's leading his people, works of incredible power, unspeakable power. In Exodus 14, God is leading the Israelites out of Egypt, the most powerful nation at the time, with large armies and unforgiving rulers and they come to the bank of the sea and the army is bearing down behind them and they realize that all hope is lost until the rugged leader Moses probably trembling remembers that my God is omnipotent and he places his staff in the water and the seas part and the Israelites pass through and with a snap of his fingers God closes the water back over their enemies. Our God is powerful. Just a few chapters later, we see as the Israelites are marching that they encounter one of the most formidable fortresses in all the land, the city of Jericho, known for its strength, known for its power, its refuge. Yet it stands between them and the promised land. And in Joshua 6, we see that God commands his Israelites to simply march around the city for seven days. And on the seventh day, to blow their trumpets seven times. And this once powerful fortress 
crumbles to the ground. We see in the story of Daniel that God's servant is thrown into a den of hungry lions. Yet God has the power to close the mouths of these starving beasts. We see in 1 Samuel 17 that God is a God that can overcome great odds. He chooses, hand selects a middle school boy to slay the greatest giant, the greatest warrior the land would know with a sling and a rock. Why? Because God is powerful. This same God then came to earth as a baby, and with his first miracle, he turned water into wine. He used his spit to heal the blind. Our God healed the lepers, made the lame walk, raised Lazarus from the dead. This same God died on the cross, and after he was buried for three days, he himself rose again. And so we have to remind ourselves that we follow a God with great power. A God with power beyond our understanding. And so somehow we need to reconcile our understanding that virtue and power are somehow incompatible. We need to recognize that the power we understand is a power that has been misconstrued. When I was a little boy, like many little boys, I loved trains. Trains of all kinds. I remember that I had a Thomas the Tank birthday party when I was, I think, four or five years old. I looked forward to watching it. I played with my toy trains, and my mom's inconvenience was my delight as we got stuck at the tracks, and I would count the cars as they went past. I absolutely loved everything there was about trains. My favorite book was The Little Engine That Could. And I remember one evening my dad told us that the whole family was going to go over to his friend's house for a nice dinner. And as a young kid, a nice dinner with your parents' friends was basically the worst thing that could happen to you. It meant that you would have to sit at a table that was covered in things you would probably break, eat food you didn't really like, and not play with any toys or any friends. And so we all loaded up into the car and we, we headed that direction. And when we got there, we came into the house and my dad's friend leaned down to me and said, guess what I have in the basement? I didn't know. And he said, it's completely filled with trains. And my heart leapt. He had, in fact, worked for Lionel Toy Train Company and had collected hundreds of trains. And so he asked me if I would want to come and look with him. And so I walked down with him. And of course, right before I went downstairs, what did my dad say? You can look, but don't touch. Right? And so I walked downstairs, holding my hands carefully behind. And I get down there, and there is this marvelous world created for these trains. I couldn't even contain my excitement as I saw each of these little toy models demonstrating the lifelike mechanisms of trains. They had steam coming out of the top, lights flashing, horns wailing. 
They raced around the tracks, but it wasn't just trains. There were villages. There was a world set up for these trains, bustling with cars and toy people. The countryside was scenic and filled with wildlife. And I watched with amazement as the trains went through these towns. And I struggled, longing to play with them, to bring this world to life. But I had to remind myself of my dad's words. I had to remember that this man had spent hours upon hours upon hours and hundreds of dollars making this world, and I couldn't mess it up. But still, all I wanted to do was make it come alive with my imagination. There's a story similar to this in Scripture. And we don't need to go very far to find it. In fact, if we just open up to Genesis chapter 1, and we look at chapter or verse 20, it says, Then God said, Let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures, and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water, and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth produce every sort of animal each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. In this passage, we see that God creates his masterpiece. He brings life to a barren planet. He painstakingly creates each and every individual being. Birds, animals, fish. And he sets them in their place. It is the orchestration of his culmination of power in this world. All of God's creative power culminating in this one moment that he creates this glorious earth. And it's interesting that instead of commanding it to happen, he invites it to happen. He says, let it be. Let us make. He invites life to flourish. This is a beautiful world that if it was in a basement, I'm sure my dad would tell me, you can look, but don't touch. But God's response is far different from my father's. And as we continue the narrative in verse 26, God says, Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our own image, 
to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Two incredible things happen. First is that he creates a being in his own image. He creates a being that's heart aches for the same things that his does. A being that can receive and give love. That can understand compassion, grace, and mercy. A being that can innovate and that can create. He made us to be like him. And second, he tells us to touch everything. He gives us the power to multiply his earth. He gives us the power to innovate, to change, to protect, to govern over, to sustain. He gives us the power to invite the flourishing of life. He makes this perfect world and hands it over to us, recognizing that with that power, we can do great things. So what do we need to recognize tonight? Andy Crouch, the author of Playing God, on which this series is based, says that power is a gift meant to advance flourishing. When power is used well, people and the whole cosmos come more alive to what they were meant to be. We need to recognize that that power is virtuous. Power is good. Because power is of God. And power has been given to us from God. And so if power is good, if power is a virtue, if power is the first gift that God gave his creation, then how do we use it? On that same list of powerful people in this world, a list filled with warlords, politicians, dictators, billionaires, and oil tycoons, there is one name that is seemingly inconsistent. The fourth most powerful person in the world, according to Forbes, is Pope Francis. A man that escapes the confines of the Vatican so that he can hang out with those that are living on the streets. Reaches out to the abused and the trafficked. A man that is willing to Touch the sick and contagious. A man that quite simply has dedicated his life to flourishing the lives of the least of these. And this past Wednesday, he addressed the church, encouraging them as they entered into a Lenten season. 
And I think his encouragement can be a challenge for us to understand power in a new way, to understand this flourishing of life in a new way, because guess what? He didn't tell us to give up chocolate or coffee. So from his speech, it says, Whenever our interior life becomes caught up in its own interests and concerns, there is no longer room for others, no place for the poor. God's voice is no longer heard. The quiet joy of his love is no longer felt, and the desire to do good fades. This is a very real danger for believers, too. Many fall prey to it and end up resentful, angry, and listless. One of the most urgent challenges which I would like to address in this message is precisely the globalization of indifference. Indifference to our neighbor and to God also represents a real temptation for us Christians. Each year during Lent, we need to hear once more the voice of the prophets who cry out and trouble our conscience. What if we released our indifference? The world is a dark place. You don't have to look far to see lives that have been corrupted by power. People that have been pushed down, abused, beaten, and broken. Yet, I find myself far more concerned about my own petty desires, my own petty needs, what I'll have for dinner, how hungry I am because of this Lenten diet I am on, than I do about my neighbors, my family, my coworkers, my peers, my friends. If we're indifferent to even those that are closest to us, how then can we begin to use God's power to make life flourish in the least of these? How can we sustain this beautiful creation that he has given us? We're unwilling to open our hearts even to our neighbors. Our world is filled with darkness. Filled with power used to manipulate and not multiply. We as Christians, as the Pope has said, have fallen victim to resentful, angry, and listless hearts. But if we recognize that power is good, and if we acknowledge that we have been blessed with it, then we can use our influence to make life flourish in our community and in the entire world. Our challenge is that we need to begin caring about the least of these. We need to begin placing the interests of others above our own so that we can make life flourish in them. I want to end with a quote from one of my favorite songs, Do Something by Matthew West. I woke up this morning, saw a world full of trouble, thought, how do we ever get so far down? How is it ever going to turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven and I thought, God, why don't you do something? I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery, 
The thought disgusted me, so I shook my fist at heaven, and I said, God, why don't you do something? He said, I did. I created you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that we would recognize power as virtuous, power as good, power as an invitation to flourish. Lord, that we would recognize that if we worship the all-powerful God, then, then certainly we have power to change this world. I pray that we would not be afraid of this invitation. That we wouldn't let it pass by. But instead, we would embrace it wholeheartedly. And make life flourish in this world you have created. Pray this in your name. Amen.